Tonight we'll be talking about the tale of two betrayals. There's two betrayals in the Bible that is the most well-known betrayals in the history of mankind. You know, when Passover comes around every year and you, and you go to read these stories, there's always some things that stick out to me. There, t- tonight I want to build this message around two people, but also two questions. So two betrayals, two people, two questions. And we're going to talk about some key truths to see what's the difference in the betrayals. You see, we all betray the Lord, whether it be thought, word, or deed. So the first question that I always come across when in my eyes stop is in Matthew 26, 22. And it says, surely not I, Lord. When I read that, it sends chills down my spine because when you look at this moment in time, in history, you see utter betrayal. I want to discuss tonight. There are two preachers. One of them, you know their name and the other one you may not know. When you look in the middle of the 20th century, there were two preachers that popped up on the scene. One was Billy Graham and the other was someone named Charles Templeton. They were called the Gold Dust Twins. Many said that Charles Templeton was a better preacher than Billy Graham. It was said that he was more gifted in his deliveries, in his presentation, in his studies. He was charismatic, real powerful. He was eloquent in speaking. He was given an opportunity to have his own television program on two major networks, which covered about 20,000 people a night. He began as a church planner, a pastor, and an evangelist. In 1957, Charles Templeton declared himself an agnostic. He rejected the Bible and he rejected Jesus Christ. With $600 in his pocket, he moved to Canada. He became a journalist, then a politician, and he nearly became the prime minister of Canada. It was in 1957 that he would step into the black hole of blasphemy and write a book that says, Farewell to God, my reason for rejecting the Christian faith. With that being said, this man has done more in his little bit of time than probably you and I will ever do. And yet he was capable of completely turning his back on the Lord. But you see, we're no different in our betrayal of the Lord. Every time we sin, we're betraying his righteousness. We're betraying what he stands for and our thoughts, words and actions. But there is a difference in betrayals. And we're going to talk about that. See, both men that I'm going to be discussing tonight, both were handpicked by God. Both of these men followed the Lord day and night. Both of these men saw the same things. Both of these men saw Jesus's hand touch sick bodies. He saw them. He saw him touch the, the, the bodies of lepers and leprosy vanished before their eyes. They both saw him raise the dead. They both saw him be so gentle with the outcast of society. 
Both men saw Jesus pouring out his heart for their sakes in prayer day after day. Both men saw that they were sinful in the, in the, the eyes of Christ's holiness. And both were told about heaven and hell. Both of these men were used by Satan himself. One of their names is still honorable in spite of their betrayal. The other name is one of the most despised, rejected names on the face of the earth. I am 37 years old. I have never met or heard someone else with this name. Yet his name means praised. When you think about this, one of them, their name is on the foundation of our eternal home. The other is merely shame and disgust. And he sits in the very caverns of hell to this day with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Point number one. Salvation must be the same for all. When you think about this. Salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. You see, salvation must not be of works because both men did the same works. Both of them had a head knowledge and even knew him intimately. Another question that you will have to answer is the, is, in Matthew 26, 22, it says, surely not I, Lord. But in Matthew 27, 22, there's another question that leaps off the page. And it's the question that Pilate asked. Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Every single person that hears the message of the gospel, every single person that walks the face of this earth has to answer that question, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what race, what gender, what country, you must answer, what will you do with him who is called Christ? Is Jesus a life coach to you? Is he an insurance agent to get you out of hell? Is he a means to an end? Or he is, or is he the Lord of all? That's what we must answer. Is he Lord? Which means supreme master. Is our allegiance to Jesus Christ totally? You know, when you look at, at situations and you see the vastness of people that call themselves Christians, you would like to see that all of them are Peters. But there are many Judases in congregations. Jesus said that there would be wheat and tares, sheep, goat, those that that function in light, those that function in darkness, those that are on the narrow way or on the broad way. People hear the same messages every week, experience the same worship every week. But what's going on on the inside of them? In fact, Jesus himself would say many, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God. Think about this. These men were around the master for three and a half years under his mighty teachings. Do you you must realize that the power of God fell every time Jesus would open his mouth. But see, salvation is predicated on what you will do with Jesus. 
What will you do with Jesus? Let's set the scene for these two betrayals. In Matthew 26, Jesus has just finished the Olivet Discourse, which was the greatest prophecy conference of all time with the keynote speaker, Jesus Christ, who will split the skies and come back to this earth. And they were in the midst of hearing the greatest teachings that we are now seeing today. Earlier in Matthew 16, Jesus tells them that he will be handed over for the crucifixion in two days. And here we see Peter, Matthew 16, 22 through 24. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's where salvation is. Not a mere head knowledge, not a mere church attendance. It's denying yourself and following full along with the Lord. Full on. Peter was saying, not I, Lord, I'm not going to let this happen. Surely not. I'm committed. I, I, I will not allow this to happen. But if Jesus had not gone to Calvary, we would all be doomed. Praise God. Listen, Jesus knew that Peter was struggling to be all in. He also knew that Judas was not all in. He sees where we are. It's the desire to surrender all that's different. It's saying, Lord, I don't have it all down, but my desire is to give everything to you, full allegiance. Anything you ask me to drop, I will drop. That is the the mentality of the follower of Christ. Listen, you may say you're all in when everything is going good. But when the very fires of adversity are, are raging out of control and you can see the Lord through the flames... Do you reach out and grab him or do you sit there bitter, mad and burning to death? Because Jesus is reaching out for you during that time. New believers, they get on fire for the Lord. They go around and some of them start preaching at their family members and telling them they're going to hell and all these things. And when winds and waves come and fire comes, they fall away, they run away. And they crumble under the weight of pressure. That in those moments is where you must decide if I am all in. You won't know true devotion until you have nothing left to go back to. You see, when you when you walk away from Satan and you go into the presence of God and you say, I'm following God and that's it. Satan sees you. You pop your head up from amongst the crowd. And then heaven help you if you try to go back. You try to go back. Now you're a hypocrite. Now Satan is like, I'm really going to get you. Come on. I'm talking about warfare. It's it's a whole different realm when you say I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the enemy knows now that you have experience. Now you have something that you can compare. But everything that you go back to and try to grab will just simply go through your fingers. It will be nothing that satisfies you once you taste the knowledge and goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Nothing will satisfy. Just give it up. Drop what you're doing and go back to the Lord. You learn this in the time of abandonment. When everything begins to slip away from you. You will learn agape love. You will learn that Jesus is with me in my fire no matter what I'm going through. There comes a point where you must revisit the decision you made and say, is this real or is this emotional? If you now live a life of repentance and faith and you're walking and when the fires come, you go through the fire. When the waves come, you go through the waves. When the water gets high, you swim as fast as you can and you wait for Jesus Christ to reach down and pick you up and you will begin to walk on water. If not, if you go back, you will simply drown or burn. This is the beauty of Christianity. Once you sign on with the Lord, he takes responsibility to take care of you. Point number two, salvation gives all when we share in his death. Later on, Jesus goes to the house of Simon the leper. And it's in Bethany during the Passover week. He was in Bethany when he raised Lazarus from the dead. A lady approaches him, Mary, Lazarus' sister. We know this because in John eleven two it says, this is Mary who later poured an expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped him with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. Now, it gives you three accounts of this particular story. In John, it says that she anointed his feet. And in Matthew and Mark, it says that she, she anointed his head. There's no contradiction. One tells you one thing and and the other gospel writer tells you another part of the story. Same thing. Now, Mary had heard the story in Luke that happened way earlier in Jesus's ministry. It's two separate events. So she was coming to give allegiance. She was coming to, to, to give a sacrifice. Now, think about this. This was during the week of Passover. Mary... Lazarus's sister was answering the question of what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? She was literally fulfilling Philippians 3, 7 through 11. It says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage that I could gain Christ. Now, when you drop down, it says, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's ways of making us right with himself depends on faith. And in verse 10, it says in sharing in his death, she broke that expensive bottle of perfume that in today's money would be about twelve thousand dollars. That's a lot of money for back then. What was she saying? I am entering in. I'm sharing in your death. I'm giving you the best that I can. Remember, this was during the week of Passover. They didn't bathe every night. I wonder if when Jesus was on the cross during Passover, if he could smell that anointing that she had put in his hair. As it went down his body, if she, if he, if he could smell that aroma that would have encouraged him, I just wonder if he, if, if what Mary did was comforting to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Point number three, religion serves self. Remember in John 12, four through six, it says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him. It's funny how John just gives a jab like that dude. You know, it's like Judas, the one who betrayed Christ. <laughs> the one that, you know, and he talks about himself, the one whom, who Jesus loved. I, I just like his writing style. It's in, Judas says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. <laughs> Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, When I see this, I see of those that prostitute the gospel for financial gain. I see I see this as no different than snake oil salesmen. That she was given active devotion. She was given everything that she she knew to give. And Judas is saying we could make money on that. We could we could use that. But it was really so he could pocket. See. When you look at this situation, Judas finally exposes himself. He finally exposes himself. Judas did not care about the Lord or the other disciples. He just wanted his agenda. See, religion betrays the Lord with works. Religion is works, works, works. Relationship is faith that produces works. See, and, and when you look at this account, it says that Judas left. Could you imagine this? He's so enraged. He's so mad. As he goes to run out, his mask is literally slipping off of his face. He is almost exposed. Jesus then tells him to prepare for the Passover, which is, was the Last Supper. Now imagine this, the most sacred time. Everything was coming to a head. I'm sure Jesus was so, so troubled knowing that this betrayal was coming. You know, when I read that, I would have loved to know what I know now and just go to Jesus and wrap my arms around him and say, Lord, I love you. Come on, you ever feel like that when you read? It's like, I wish I was there. I don't know that I would do anything different than the three, but knowing what I know now, you just want to. Embrace him one day, soon and very soon. Earlier when I was speaking about splitting the skies, I pray that we get hours with our master. Years. I know it's going to be pretty busy up there. But I just pray that we get to stand before him and we could look at him in his face and say, Lord, thank you for what you did for me. Lord, thank you. I just want to sit here on my knees and worship you, Lord, and honor you, Lord. I don't have any perfume to give you, but I give you everything. Well, you can do that here. You can empty everything that you are at the feet of Christ. You see, we don't delve into the, the, to, to the emotion of the scriptures. If you think about it, his heart was beating. Yes, you know how it feels when you get betrayed. You're like, where did that come from? You, you know, you, you feel all of these emotions. Jesus felt all of these emotions. In Matthew 26, 20, it says, Now when evening had come, he was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples as they were eating. He said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
And being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. Now, if we stop here, let me ask you this question. Are you betraying the Lord? This is a question that I ask myself. Am I betraying the Lord? Because there were disciples that did not know that they were betraying. They said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Surely not I, Lord. But Judas, in Matthew 26, 25, Judas, who was betraying him, answered him, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. He said to you, you have said it yourself. Even Judas, who had, remember we talked about he ran out with, you know, after what he saw, he had, he had brought up this situation to the Pharisees. He went there saying, I'm going to betray him. He was just looking for the moment to make the transaction. He had already known. So either he was so deceived or he was just religious. See, religion mocks relationship. Religion mocks relationship. It's, it's like, I don't need to, to, to be all in with the Lord. I just got to do this, do that, and do this. And we buy into that. We buy into that as a society. Now, let me ask you this. Are you like the other disciples that says, surely not I, Lord. What is it in my life that is betraying you? Or do we do like Judas? Knowing that premeditated sin that we drink down like water. Do we go to him and say, surely not I, Lord. This thing right here that you've been telling me about. Are we betraying him with that thing? Think about that. You know, let me ask you a question. What is it in your your own life that the Lord has told you? This is betraying me. And then we have reasoned it in our mind by the person sitting next to us or philosophy of the world. And we've now embraced it. And the Lord is saying, hey, that thing is betraying me. Do we turn our eyes to it? Do we answer the Lord? Do we say, surely not I, Lord? That's a question that only you can answer because you know what's going on on the inside of you. I don't want to play games with sin. I don't want to play games with the things that the Lord shows us in services. I believe that this is a holy moment, that when you stand behind the sacred desk and the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal things. This is for our own good. This is for our own good. Listen, religion will explain it away. Relationship will repent it away. Relationship will repent it away. Religion is like an iced heart. It's it's just a block of ice. And occasionally, when the sun shines, it may drip a little bit of sensitivity. It may drip a little bit of, of, oh, I want to be right. So we go run to do works. But listen, if you want that rivers of living water, let the sun shine on hard hearts and watch that water flow. And that water will be given to number one, to refresh you and to refresh others when they see your life and they see you totally abandoned, totally uh, uh, running away from the things of the world and running to Christ. People are getting so frustrated with saying, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's why I don't want to serve the God. You see you people. That's what they say. 
No, we need to be like water, giving them. They're looking for refreshing. They're looking. They're looking to us. Are we overflowing that we can give them? That's what the Lord has called us to do. Now, as they do this, they depart and they go to get Simon. I want to pick up the story. Remember, he told Judas to leave. He told Judas, go and do what you have to do. But the disciples never knew that it was him. They thought the Bible says that he was going to run an errand. Now, point number four, salvation is not associational, but relational. Now, if you look at the scene in Matthew 26, 48 through 50, it says, Now he who was betraying him gave him a sign, saying, Whoever I shall kiss, he is the one sees him. And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid their hands on him and seized him. Now, Judas says, Whomever I kiss. Think of that. Why not just, hey, this is the guy right here. But that intimate moment, he was mocking relationship. He was mocking relationship. This word that is used for kiss is the same word that's used when the woman kissed Jesus' feet. It means to intensively kiss over and over and over again with emotion. This is the word that is used when Judas kissed Jesus. That is mocking relationship. Now, if you think about this, Jesus says friend. You know what that word friend means? Associate. Just a mere associate. I don't want to be called an associate of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. Out of all this time, Jesus looked at Judas and calls him an associate. Then he tells him in Luke twenty two forty eight, Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? You know what this is a picture of? Premeditated sin. It's going to the Lord, worshiping him in his presence, honoring, oh, Lord, I love you with that thing in your mind, knowing when I leave here, I'm going to do this or this weekend, I'm going to do this. That's betraying the son of man with a kiss. Do we do that? Listen, when I read the, the, the account of Judas, it makes me sick to my stomach. And I always read that and say, Lord, is that me? Surely not I. These are questions we must ask ourselves. Satan will use you and drop you. If we keep reading, you will see Judas. You see, when when they came to arrest Jesus, the very hands that flung the stars against the darkness of night, the very hands that lifted up and created man, the very hands that blessed little children, the very hands that healed the sick were bound like a mere criminal. Think of that. And in Matthew 26, I'll, I'll speed up the story. Jesus is arrested. He is brought before Caiaphas and Peter comes in following from a distance. Now he witnesses this kangaroo court in action. He witnessed as they struck his best friend. No doubt Peter heard the mocking when he said, when they said prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine sitting in the presence of your Lord, your best friend hearing this? 
It would have destroyed. It would have destroyed me. It would have destroyed you if you're in relationship. Matthew 27, 3 through 4 says, Then when Judas, had, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver. What he did is he took the money, he felt bad, he said, man, he's condemned. He threw the money back in the sanctuary. And then the Pharisees came indignant and said, we don't want anything to do with that, that's blood money. Think about this, when, we, when we're around friends and, they, and we go do this, go do that. We feel bad. We feel guilty. I, I, I could vouch for that. When I was trying to serve God and in the world, I'd go out with my friends. I'd hang out. We'd drink. We'd do drugs, all these things. But I would feel so guilty. And I would try to talk to them to, like, dude, are you feeling this way? And they're like, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like they would entice me with what was already inside of me. So I'm not blaming them. And then we would go do these things. And then yet they wouldn't feel convicted like I would. That's a picture of what this is to me. Judas had, he partnered with them. They, the deed was done. They were like, we got rid of the son of God. So say the son of God in their mind. And now we're done with you too, Judas. So Judas had nothing but regret and remorse. But what does this show us about Judas's betrayal? Judas offered restitution. He tried to bring the money back. He confessed. He said, I betrayed innocent blood, but he did not repent to the Lord. Judas shows us what wasted opportunity looks like. Judas shows us that you could be around Christ for years and not know who he is. His entire life is marked by hypocrisy and lying. But he had heard the stories. He had heard the teachings of forgiveness. How many of us hear messages over and over and over, walk out of these doors and leave the message in the sanctuary? Judas then goes feeling guilty, hangs himself. He couldn't even do that right. Because in Acts it says that he fell, that the rope broke and he fell and his busted his stomach open on the rocks and his, his guts gushed out. There's no contradiction. That's what happened. So let's pick up the story with Peter. We pick up the story. Jesus did not want Satan around. That's why he said go. Jesus was instituting the Last Supper, the communion meal. He didn't want Satan anywhere around that. That's a holy time. So I just wanted to show you some pictures because I like to show pictures. But this is the Kidron Valley. That's the city of Jerusalem here. So they would have had to walk through this valley. Now, there's some interesting nuggets about the Kidron Valley. This, at the time of Christ, would have been stained or blood soaked. In fact, the Kidron Valley, the word means black brook or gloomy brook. So think about this. Josephus said during the time of the, of the Passover of Christ, there were over 250,000 lambs that were slain that week. Could you imagine as Jesus is walking through that valley, knowing, seeing all this, and there would have been two and a half million Jews in this city during this time. And then as before they get there to the to the right is what they call the Valley of Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom. This is where Judas would hang himself. Listen, I passed through there when we went to Israel and we passed on the side and they said, look, that's hell. 
That's what, when Jesus referred to Gehenna, he was talking about this place. What they would do is it would be a garbage dump. They would dump all of their garbage there and it would, they would burn it. And in the Old Testament, this is where Moloch was when the children would pass, when the people of Israel would pass their children through the fire. And so when you think about that, Judas hung himself is also known as the field of blood. Judas would have hung himself here. So as Jesus is walking through, he is walking through the Kidron Valley and he sees to the right the valley of Gehenna. And then he would enter into the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'll show you a picture of that. Now, during this time, we went, we had like, I told you the story before we had prayer time, but I, I remember being there and these, these, these olive trees, they say are thousands of years old. And I remember thinking, boy, if these trees could talk, what would they say? They were, they literally would have witnessed the agonizing time in the garden. So in Matthew 26, it says, after they sang a hymn, they walked through here. And this is where Jesus says, even though all may fall, this is when he says, you will fall away. You, you will, you will, uh, Jesus said, you will fall away because of me this night. Could you imagine walking and having this discussion? But Peter said, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said, truly, you have said this very night before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even I have, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. But look, look at this last part. It says, and all the disciples said the same thing too. So let's pass around the guilt. <laughs> so Peter's betrayal was just as public. It was the same night after Judas was betrayed. Because you remember, we can pick up the story. G- Peter is walking. Behind the Lord, after he's seeing all this, and a, uh, it says a servant girl came, and said, came to him and said, you were with Jesus, the Galilean. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. Remember that? And then another servant girl saw him and said, to those, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. He began to say, this, this man was with Jesus. And a little later, bystanders came up to him and said, surely you're one of them, for the way you talk gives it away. <laughs> Must have been Cajun. Then he began to curse and swear, which means he didn't use vulgarity. He was pronouncing a death curse. curse. If I'm lying, kill me. That's what he was saying. But here's a key part when you think about betrayal. Betraying the Lord is not about doing something wrong and feeling bad. It's about feeling sorry for the one you have betrayed. We can all just feel bad for doing bad stuff. You see, when Judas and Jesus locked eyes, all Jesus saw was eyes of hatred. But with Peter, it says in Luke 22, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord that he had told him before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And went out and wept bitterly. That word look, when Jesus looked at Peter, it's the word called impeblo, which means an intense stare. Not a condemning stare, a stare of hurt. Think about that. That breaks my heart. But what did it do? It it drove Peter to weep bitterly. You see, during that time, Peter must have remembered the relationship, the laughs with Jesus, the times that Jesus consoled him, the times that Jesus would call him Simon. He would call him Simon to remind him of his old ways. 
but he would call him Peter when he was wanting to speak destiny into Peter's life. But Peter didn't go out and hang himself. He went out and wept bitterly because of sorrow for what he had done to his friend. Point number five, how did Peter's relationship get to this point? Because that's the question. We all say, I will never deny him. But if you look at Peter, who was Jesus' closest friend, closest apostle, it tells you in Matthew 26, 33, he boasted too much. Remember, he said, I'll never fall away. Listen, you don't know what you're capable of when that water is filling your boat up. When, when the paycheck stops, when the dreams that you are reaching out to the Lord for come up empty, you do not know, but it's a time where you create a posture in yourself and you say, Lord, it's good right now. And I'm going to continue following Lord is when things come my way, when things come bombard me, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you because the winds and waves will come. Number two, Peter prayed too little. Remember, he went when Jesus was in the garden, Peter was sleeping. At that time, prayer empowers you to act. Prayer intercession empowers you in ministry. Point number three, Peter acted too swiftly. How many times did Jesus tell him, tell them not to be violent, but to be peaceful? And yet Peter drew his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. Point number four, Peter followed too far behind. Now, if you think about this, he was following. The Bible says in in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, then they seized him, led him away, bringing him to the the priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. If Peter had not been in the distance, he would not have come in, in the midst of three people. Maybe if he'd have been closer, he, and, that, and it's a spiritual principle. Stay close to the Lord. Don't let a lot of space get in between because you don't know with three people, with four people, with one person, one situation will come and cause you to deny Christ. Point number six, restoration from betrayal is the key component in relationship with the Lord. We'll be wrapping this up. After the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus tells them that he will appear to them. Remember, Peter says, I'm going fishing. (laughs) He was done. He was like, I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to comfort. And it says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. This is an awesome story when you realize that this happened earlier, if you remember, when Jesus met them. In verse 4, it says, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Where did you hear that before? And you will find a catch. They cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And then John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and threw himself into the sea. Could you imagine the emotion? Peter beating himself up. Peter saying, I denied the Lord. I feel horrible. Peter, everything that he does, he's thinking of the Lord. He's thinking of the death of the Lord. He's thinking, I know the Lord has risen, but I haven't gotten to talk to him. But I want to show you something. 
in this in this restoration. In John 21, 15 through 17, it says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, said, said to Peter, Simon, he's talking about his his old old nature. Son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Are you willing to lay everything down? Do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I'm fond of you. I'm, I'm your guy. I'm with you. And he, and he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? Are you willing to serve me? And Peter says, I phileo you. I'm fond of you, Lord. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then verse 17, he said a third time, Simon, son of John, Jesus uses the word phileo. Okay, Peter, do you phileo me? And then Peter was grieved. Because you see, Peter knew that Jesus was using his omniscient. Jesus was saying, Peter, I love you where you are. He couldn't get to agape because guilt was clouding his mind. He says, so, so Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you phileo me? Do you, are you fond of me? Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I, I wish I could say agape. But he says, I'm fond of you. I love you. Think of this. Jesus would call him Simon, referring back to his old ways. Because remember, he changed his name to Peter, the rock. When you see this, you see relationship. Listen, after the, those miscarriages, I hate to always bring that up. That's, you know, that's just where I, I was. After cancer, all these things that were destroying me. It's like when I read that, the Lord brought that to my mind. I said, Kelly, you remember how you were mad at me? Remember how you, you, you know, I, I, I'm ashamed to even say what I would tell the Lord. But I realized I phileoed Jesus. I was fond of him. I, I loved everything about him. But through suffering and seeing the Lord hold me up, hold my family up, it produced agape love. But we know that Peter ended up agape loving the Lord because he lost his life for the very sake of the gospel. When you look at their life, Jesus rebuked Peter more than all the rest of them. Simon Peter stayed in more trouble than all the disciples. Peter was the boldest out of all of them, always acknowledging the Lord, always putting his foot in his mouth. No one praised, no one was praised by the Lord more than Peter. <laughs> Jesus called him Satan. <laughs> the Lord spoke harsher to Peter than all the others. Why am I telling you this? Do you not see the good, the bad, and the ugly in relationship? It's about relationship. You see, Peter and Jesus had this rock-solid relationship, even though there was betrayal. So with that, I tell you, when we betray the Lord, when we do things contrary to what he stands for, it don't have to be like Judas. You can have the relationship that Peter had. 
Remember, Jesus defines love for him in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps him, this is he who loves me. Listen, sin and guilt does not produce repentance. Relationship for knowing who you sinned against produces repentance. See, Peter answered that question that Pilate posed. What shall I do for this Christ? I will really die for this Christ. Now I'm asking you, are you willing to live for this Christ? I brought up Charles Templeton in the beginning of, of the message. He died in 2001 at the age of 86. But they said that this was the, his dying words. He said three things, three, three, three words. I miss him. Think of that. That was his last words. We do not know what happened to him. But I have to believe that, that, that the Lord reached out to him just as he did to Peter. Just as he wants to do to you here and say, look, I know what you did all week. I know what you're planning to do next week. Come to me. Come to me. Let me heal you. Come to me. Let me fix that. Come to me. Let me be more than that thing you keep running to is. Can we stand? I want to ask you this question to the one that is in relationship with him. I want to ask you a very poignant question. Are you betraying the Son of God with something in your life? Because I want you to create a Gethsemane moment. And I want you to go to the Lord. You don't even have to come up here. You're in your, in your, your seat. And I want you to go to the Lord. And I want you to say, Lord, is there anything in my life that I'm betraying you with? And the Lord, I believe, will point that out to you. And you have a decision to make. You can betray him with a kiss. Or you can lay it down and walk in forgiveness. Or maybe you can say, the Lord would ask you, do you love me? And you would say, Lord, I phileo you. I'm fond of you. I appreciate you. Or can you answer, Lord, I agape you. Only you know what you will say. And the Lord knows what you will say. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to say, Lord, I want to agape you. I want to love you unconditionally. I want to to be like Peter in the end of his life was, totally devoted. See, the thing about the Lord is when he showed up on that beach, his mindset was, I'm restoring Peter. Jesus doesn't come to condemn you, to destroy you. He comes to restore you. When he died on Calvary, he came to restore your life from what Satan had destroyed you with. He had taken your life. We were kidnapped in the Garden of Eden, and Jesus Christ came to pay the ransom, to pull you out of the pit. And to those that do not know the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you do not know the Lord tonight. I just want you to simply acknowledge that by raising your hand, and I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's ask the Lord. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that we know that the power of restoration 
is what you are all about, Lord. If there is anything in our lives, come on, you already know what that is. Lord, we ask that you would forgive and that you would cleanse and that you would give us the ability and the power to lay it down and walk after you, Lord. Father, we thank you that, that you, your joy is restoration of your children. So, Father, we acknowledge that, Lord. We acknowledge you as Lord. Father, we come before you thanking you for your precious blood that was shed. God, we thank you for your presence in this service, God. Lord, we thank you for your presence as we go our separate ways. Father, we thank you for this wonderful relationship that you initiated with us and that we are your children, God. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.